This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. You're listening to The Blitz 1170. Streaming live at theblitztulsa.com and on the Blitz 1170 app. All right, it's 204 here on the Blitz 1170. What's going on? Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope that all of you at least were smarter than we were and you got off from work early. That you don't have to put up with any of the nonsense anymore and you can just head home. Take a few hours off early on a Wednesday. But if you can't, we are here with you. And hell, even listen to us while you're at home. It's as easy as that. Uh, Matt, I believe... That, you know, since this is Mariah Carey season, after all, mm-hmm. seems to happen a little bit earlier and earlier each and every single year where we just get bludgeoned to death with Mariah Carey. I think she might have a little competition this year. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, let's welcome in Ryan Aber uh, from the uh, <laughs> Oklahoman here on the uh, Oklahoma Four Dealers Hotline. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners. Ryan, I, I don't know if you have heard this either or not, but... Did you know that former OU uh, offensive lineman, current Philadelphia Eagle, Lane Johnson, has a Christmas album coming out? Oh. I did not. All right. So I'll have to. Uh, so, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to play you. I'm going to play for you a little <laughs> bit of this, okay? So this is the entire O-line has an album coming out that's called A Philly Special Christmas. <laughs> that's uh <laughs> That's releasing this Friday. The full album is coming out on December 23rd, so I have two different clips for you. Uh, The first one you will hear is Jason Kelsey along with Lane Johnson and uh, Jordan Melata of the Eagles um, singing one of uh, the Christmas classics here. Okay, so that's that's one example of it. Well, it could have been all way right. worse, right? Like I, I when I first listened to that, I was like, all right, I was expecting something that was way worse than that. Uh this next one though <laughs> might fall into the oh my gosh, what are they doing category? You could just got Jason and Travis Kelsey to do this, and they would have done it. All right, so yeah, that uh, that second verse there that came in um, is clearly not Lane Johnson or Jason Kelsey, because if that voice came out of either one of those two, I would be concerned. But that is that is Jordan Melada's angel voice that you heard just ripping the pants clean off of everyone right there. So yeah, just something to keep an eye out on as the former suitor has now is now. Uh, Transitioned into the musical world uh, with a Philly special Christmas that will be uh, hitting your ears uh, 
<laughs> and pounding you over the head somewhere soon uh, in December. Good stuff there from from Lane Johnson. Yes, you know, not not the Super Bowl shuffle for sure. But, uh... <laughs> no, no, it's not indeed. What's going on, man? How are you? You doing all right today? Not bad. I, I got to throw out another musical thing. Though, okay. Uh, first, I, I love the intro song, uh, the Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. Like, if you're going to play music that, like hits me right in uh, the heart. Pearl Jam is my favorite band, but uh, Tribe Called Quest uh, is not too far behind that, and Low End Theory is my favorite album of all time. So, ah, yes, very much, very familiar with Low End Theory. There is, there is no doubt. So that's kind of right in my wheelhouse. I'm, uh, I tend to be more of a Public Enemy, It Takes a Nation's of Millions type guy. But, uh, but man, oh, I, 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 I love Public Enemy too, but. Tribe is uh, tribe is legit. Tribe is legit. Uh, just for you, then, Ryan. That is my Thanksgiving Day gift to you. Is a is a tribe called Quest. All right, let's uh, let's shift here to Oklahoma. Uh, before we even ask about offensively, uh, I think the story coming out of that game is is the defensive success that they've had, and it's been little bits and pieces here over the past couple of weeks, and mainly from creating turnovers being able to capitalize on though what was your take from what you saw defensively from Oklahoma in the Bedlam game yeah I think the biggest thing is the way that they were able to get after Spencer Sanders with their front seven and you saw Ethan Downs I thought play a a more disruptive game than he's played really all season Um, that several of those defensive linemen getting involved obviously the the interception by uh, Jonah Laulu is the one that's going to stand out but a lot of action up front for them. They were able to get after standards, um, you know, bottle him up, uh, not allow him to get out uh, and, and run or make, uh, make room for, uh, make time for passes downfield. And they were able to make just enough plays on the front end and then also uh, force them into some bad throws on the back end that led to, uh, you know, some of those four interceptions. Obviously they'd like to uh, create some more points off of those than they did, but, uh, it certainly uh, changed the dynamic of the game, being able to uh, intercept uh, four passes over there. I know it's only one game, and there's only one game that's left, but did it at least kind of show them, and maybe maybe this is more from an individual standpoint than a, the entire defense, did it at least kind of show them what they're capable of? That, hey, you can finish strong. You can set the table for 2023 if you continue to play this way because that's all that's all Brent has been preaching about, right, is the credibility with the players and, and what it takes to get things done. We haven't really seen a whole lot of that from them until this past Saturday. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it, that it definitely went a long way toward building their confidence and making them believe that, hey, this can be a, a, a strong defense. And you know, clearly Oklahoma State isn't the the offensive powerhouse that they've been in the past, and and Spencer Sanders wasn't quite a hundred percent. But that game, I think, there's a lot of points in the season where it would have gone a lot of different directions, and to be able to get off the field with three and outs as many times as they were able to do, uh, play bend but don't break at some other points, and uh, just really set themselves up where if they can continue to play defense like that. This week in, in Lubbock and in the bowl game, all of a sudden, especially with uh, you know some of the, the recruiting things that's happened over the last couple of days, you start uh, looking forward with a much more optimism 
than we had, uh, you know, three weeks ago. Did you feel, uh, because Brent had kind of mentioned this a couple of times, just from a competitive standpoint, it looked like, I, I don't want to say they, they cared more, but you know what I mean? They, the, the competitive aspect of that game, I think, was more in line with what he expected, and I think most of the fans expected to see out of them throughout the entire year. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that, that uh, they certainly showed more fire, more edge in that game than they have uh, at, really at any point uh, this season. And I, I think, obviously, the the start had something to do with that, the, the fact that there was just this giant uh, burst of energy right off the bat in that stadium, both uh, on the sidelines and on the field and uh, in the stands with uh, the way I think OU fans just sort of looking to uh, release some some frustrations about the season. And then all of a sudden you blink and it's 28 nothing, and it's a party in there. The, you know, the, the lights are flashing and everything else. And, uh, you know, clearly it took a turn after that. But I think it was uh, – uh, you know, sort of a cathartic moment for uh, OU, the team, and uh, OU fans uh, to be able to enjoy that uh, early the other night. With that said, as Ryan Aber joins us here on the uh, Blitz 1170 via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers hotline, uh, that hot start and how historic it was just from a Bedlam perspective. Um, I don't know, though, Ryan, if I can remember another offense outside of the Falcons and the Patriots seemingly falling off of a cliff. I think that's the term that I used uh, after the first quarter, uh, which was bizarre. I feel like there are a lot of lessons that can be that you can take away from that. The second, third and fourth quarters. A lot of that is clock management, which was a, a hot topic of discussion on this. But can you remember just Jekyll and Hyde like that from one performance to from one quarter to another? No, not really. I mean, we we saw Lincoln Riley's offenses do it some late in games in the second half where they would fall out as they got more conservative and they would really struggle. But to see it turned off after one quarter and, and so so stark of a contrast between what they were early and what they were late, I mean, it's it's just incredible to think that they got more yards in the first quarter than they had the rest of the game. Dylan Gabriel set an OU record for most uh, yards of total offense in a quarter uh, with his performance there in the first, and then couldn't complete a pass really after that. I mean, he completed one pass in the second half, and that was a, a, a really short one to Eric Gray. So, um, you know, the receiver struggled. The uh, Dylan Gabriel's decision-making wasn't always uh, perfect, although I think it was certainly better than the numbers would indicate for him. And then, uh, they, they really struggled on the offensive line with and missing Andrew Rame clearly made an impact up there with Robert Congel. It wasn't, he wasn't missing snaps and, and, you know, uh, putting the ball on the ground, but just the timing wasn't quite there with some of those things that, uh, normally have been very good for them. And then once they became predictable, it's easy to load the box and try to stop Eric Gray and, and make life difficult for him and, and Javante Barnes. So, um, they've got some figuring out to do, uh, and certainly they've they've worked on that this week to try to uh, you know turn that around because it was ugly for for three quarters. Because the first quarter, in a way, to hear you describe that, almost becomes fool's gold. Because we we've, we've discussed how at times 
Uh, I think dysfunctional is not a, a, a proper way to put it, but how about we just say not great? Um, uh, passing game uh, in explosive plays and that type of element, even going into the Bedlam matchup, and then you have that happen in the first quarter, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, they've got a lot of things figured out, and they fall back into that. So you can't allow that to kind of fool you as as an offense at all the first quarter, even with the success that you had. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I, I think, you know, it'd be one thing if they played great for three quarters and then fell off in the fourth and you could sort of write that off. The fact that, that it was just one quarter of really good and then just absolutely fell off a cliff, I think keeps them, keeps their edge a little bit and keeps them uh, focused on uh, turning that around because it was just really ugly. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You can't get wrapped up in thinking, oh, this is what this offense is or, or what it could be. I mean, obviously, they've got a lot of talent. And they've got playmakers who can make them all over the field but haven't consistently lately. I mean, heck, you know, Braden Willis hasn't been nearly as big a part of the offense lately as he was. Marvin Mims and Jaleel Farouk have been – they'll show flashes with a play or two, and then they'll, they'll just inexplicably drop something that you think uh, they've got to have uh, the ability to catch. So – it's been a confounding season uh, for OU's offense. Uh, you know, really, Eric Gray is about the only one you can consistently count on. But again, when you get so predictable, it's uh, you know hard for even him to uh, find open space to work. I know that there has been noise around Ted Roof and everything else. Um, maybe I'm the only one that kind of feels this way, but it. And yes, there are circumstances that have gotten us to this point offensively, though. But and I've got to say, there have been times where uh, there's been a few head scratching moments from Jeff Levy, I feel like. And snapping the football and the lack of clock management in the second half. And I know Venables addressed that um, would almost seem like it would come from an OC that doesn't have a whole lot of experience. That's not the case with Jeff uh, at all. Um that that how much of a talking point has that been here over the last couple of weeks, and especially after the Bedlam game? Yeah, I think especially after the Bedlam. I mean, you think about that the third down play after Deshaun White's interception with about six minutes left. Um, that's to me the most head scratching moment of the entire game. They they snap it with twenty seven seconds left on the clock, and uh, you know they've said this week. Uh, yeah, they should have huddled. They should have taken more time. Uh, they they didn't do that uh, as well, certainly as well as they could have. But to me, yeah, part of it's on Jeff Levy and the preparation during the week. But, you know, he's not the one on the sideline. Uh, you know, I think there's got to be somebody down there, whether it's uh, Brent Venables or more likely a guy like Joe John Finley, who works uh, closely with uh, Jeff Levy on the headset, to be the one to say, hey, let's take our time, slow this thing down, grind the clock out, and try to save a defense that was, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they were gassed, but certainly after playing, a, you know, 102 plays, it gets more and more difficult to keep getting those stops. And they just, they, their offense was not helping their defense at all. That's got to be something that changes. Um, I, I thought at times Jeff Levy has shown the ability to think outside the box and try some different things. But uh, at times he's sort of been uh, bullheaded, like I think a lot of coaches are, and just sticking with what he knows rather than, hey, situation, we need to slow it down, eat up some clock, and and help our defense. And they just uh, didn't do that at all uh, on Saturday, but they were somehow still able to escape. 
Uh, Texas Tech on the road coming up this weekend. Tech's going to have to finish it without one of their best defensive players uh, after injury moving on to the NFL. They gave up 422 yards, shockingly, to Iowa State last week, uh, who got to the Tech five-yard line twice, came away with no points. Uh, so, yes, Oklahoma's offense can be explosive here. Uh, what are some of your, your feelings about how this one can go? And I would assume probably much like the rest of the season where it could go right down to the wire and a coin flip, win or loss here. Yeah, it really could. I think it starts up front on both sides of the ball. I think they've got to protect Dylan Gabriel against that Texas Tech uh, pass rush. I think, obviously, Tech's pass rush wasn't what it was you know, three weeks or a month ago. With uh, with losing their their best uh, edge rusher uh, to an injury, and like you said, ultimately to the NFL, but they've still got uh, some guys who can get after you uh, back there. So they've got to protect uh, Dylan Gabriel, especially with Robert Conjol back at center. We'll see how his timing is, if it's better, and uh, you know we'll see what Wanya Morris's status is after he left uh, last week as well, because he's been really good for them. And then on the other side, I think they need to keep doing what they've done the last couple weeks up front, with the exception of when Garrett Green came into the game against West Virginia. Uh, they've really been able to bottle up quarterbacks and uh, show a, a pretty consistent pass rush. I think they've got to do that again against uh, a Texas Tech team that's sort of been up and down defensively. Uh, you know, Like you said, they, they allowed, uh, or excuse me, offensively, uh, just scoring a couple touchdowns last week against Iowa State. Obviously, that's no uh, no big shame because Iowa State's defense is is really good. But their yardage numbers, when you look at the first four games of conference play to the last four, have really just uh, fallen off a cliff. And part of that's their quarterback issues that they've had with some injuries and things like that. But uh, if you get after their quarterback, whoever that that is, it sounds like they might play a couple of them on Saturday. Then uh, that that takes a lot of teeth out of that uh, Texas Tech offense. Ryan, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on with us uh, this afternoon. Have a great Thanksgiving. Safe travels as well, and uh, we'll check in again with you soon. Sounds great. Always enjoy it, guys. Thank appreciate you so much for having me on. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. That's uh, Ryan Aber joining us here via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers Hotline. Now, while, Matt, we were on the phone with Ryan Aber, OU gets a commitment for their class of 2023. They get Juco defensive back Kendall Dolby, who uh, dropped his little post there on Twitter that he is 100% committed. He was the 2022 Defensive Player of the Year in the Southwest Junior College Football Conference and was in town that past weekend there. Yep. Watching the Sooners beat Oklahoma State straight out of N-E-O. Big-time player. Yes, sir. He picked the Sooners over Washington, Washington State, Arkansas, and Oklahoma State, as well as Mizzou and Mississippi State. So, so a good pickup. Yeah, so they got um, they got a couple of defensive linemen recruits from over the weekend, and now here comes in uh, Dolby from N-E-O. Seven games in 2021, finished with 24 tackles, two interceptions. He did house one of those. Six passes defended. And then last season, he played in five games, had 19 tackles, first career sacks, and four passes defended. But was the all-Southwest JUCO 
conference honorable mention at uh, cornerback. So good pickup from there. And as you mentioned, Washington, Washington State, Boise, Houston, Mississippi State, Missouri, and others. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. In a few moments, we'll check in on the Oklahoma State front here on the Blitz 1170. Got a few other items that I want to hit up, including just an overall look at the Big 12 and the weekend that is in college football. That's next year on the Blitz. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.